0: Welcome to Muse Views, the podcast for the Muse community about the Muse community. Muse is a nonprofit education networking group for users of the Meditech electronic health record system. Here on our podcast, we chat with healthcare IT folks about ideas, opportunities, strategies, and solutions to improve work life experiences and share views you can use. All right, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, TJ Temple, and I would like to thank you for joining us. We have an exciting guest on the podcast today. She's someone I've had the pleasure to get to know over the past several years with our mutual work on the MUSE committees and service on the MUSE board. She's project manager for Information Services Department at Ephraim McDowell Health, a multi-hospital health system located in Central Kentucky. Please welcome Becky Blevins. Becky, thanks for joining us on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, TJ. Great.
0: Tell us a little bit more about Ephraim McDowell and the IT team there.
1: So Ephraim McDowell, we're a healthcare system located in central Kentucky. We have three hospitals, one acute care and two critical access hospitals. We also have 28 clinics, family medical centers and specialty centers where we provide outpatient care and we have all of those running on Meditech.
0: Awesome. And what version of Meditech are you guys currently running?
1: Uh, we are currently running still client-server. We're version five six seven.
0: Are you all leaning towards down the road looking at Expanse, or or what's your plans in that arena?
1: Ah, uh, yes, of course. We're like everybody else. We're always looking to see what's just around the corner. Currently, client-server is meeting all of our needs, but we know that you know Expanse does have some tools that would allow us to be more productive, and so. We do have that on our roadmap. It's just, it takes us a little while to get there.
0: Sure, understand that's a big undertaking. I think your workforce there is a little bit unique in that you your IT team is either all remote or majority remote, is that correct still?
1: Yes, we have short of our help desk, most of those individuals are still on site and on premise because you know they have to actually touch equipment. But the remainder of the IT staff, we're able to work Remotely, uh, we occasionally come into the office if we have a specific training that has to be done, or if there's a, a meeting where someone you know wants to do that face to face. But I guess one of the positive things from COVID is it has really allowed us to explore working in a, a hybrid environment where people are now more accustomed to working and you know using technology to connect.
0: That's great. Are you? Uh planning on keeping that arrangement if and when the pandemic ever slows down or ends?
1: Yes, it's actually been very beneficial for us. We've been able to recruit some people outside of the normal workforce that we would bring in because they can work remotely, and that seems to be a huge satisfier for our staff. You know, it's always been that balance of work life and home life and making sure that people have that quality time with their family that they need. And this hybrid that we have going on really allows them to have some flexible scheduling. You know, it allows them to be able to connect, you know, at unusual hours and get some work done when things are more quiet with their family. And so there have been some real positives out of it that we've seen. And, And we do anticipate that, you know, this is how the future will look for us.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's great. That's great to hear. I'm sure that's helped with your retention and possibly recruiting. And I know that's a a touchy subject around a lot of facilities right now. It's just keeping staff on board and finding people to help. So
1: It is. And it really allows, you know, bringing on those virtual people. You're not really uh, limited to, you know, bringing people in and having them geographically close to you. You know, we've made that transition in our organization And people understand now that we have virtual workers and, you know, they can be hundreds of miles away. And, you know, as long as the connectivity is there and they're productive, it's worked out very well for us.
0: Great. Have any of the other departments inside your organization followed suit and allowed remote working or flexible working?
1: Yes, several of them have. Most all of the areas who aren't directly involved in patient care are at least attempting this. Some of the areas like billing, risk management, legal, they have sent all of their staff home to work, and so it's all a virtual environment for them. It works very well for them as well. We've been able to provide all of the technology that they need, everything from uh, the computers, the telephone systems that they need access into their unique programs, especially for the billing staff. And so they really love it. We don't have to worry about snow days anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's nice. That's one nice perk there. That's great that the flexibility is uh, spreading throughout your organization. I'm sure that does add a little bit of overhead for the IT team to get everything set up. But that's a, that's a nice service you're offering. One other unique aspect of your IT department or your organization, I guess, is you guys have embraced Google and the G Suite set of applications as opposed to the Microsoft kind of backbone. Tell us a little bit about that and why you made that decision and how that's going. Uh,
1: It really started out as more of a financial decision because all the Microsoft licensing, you know, it really can add up to a high dollar amount really quickly. And so we talked to several people in uh, not only healthcare but in other industries as well to see, you know, if they had been successful with that, any pain points that they had And so we started out slowly, of course, and let the IT staff do all the testing with it. But it's really worked out well for us. We have our entire organization is now using Google. Uh, We have a few users in patient accounts and decision support who have some calculations that they have to do that are pretty labor intensive. And so we're still using Microsoft for a few of those users. But About 98% of our organization is using Google, and that's everything from Google Sheets. They're using Drive for all of their storage. We're using the Gmail. It really allows them the freedom when they're working virtually as well, you know, that all they have to be able to do is get to Drive. And um, they can sign in basically from wherever they're at and see that information. We've got a lot of collaborative tools with the G Suite.
0: Very interesting. You're one of the few organizations I've heard of that's been able to escape the uh, Microsoft umbrella, however you want to word it. But that's interesting. Very cool. Um, I know you recently, I don't know how recently, but you got your PMP certification. So you're a uh, official certified project manager. Um, tell me about a recent project or a current project that you're managing and, and what you find interesting about it.
1: We've had lots of projects during that COVID period, you know, everything got put on hold. And so once 2021, the middle of the year came, everybody wanted their projects put back on the front burner. So we've had a lot of projects that we've had to do quickly. One of the favorite things that I like about project management is being able to take the clinical and the non-clinical staff. And get them to work together and really understand sort of the limitations and the strengths of each other. And so one of the most recent projects that I've worked on, I've been part of a falls team. And so our project there was obviously to look at, you know, what was causing our patients to fall and what we could do to prevent that. And so uh, we started with the clinical staff and then we added in all the technical components as well and looked at, you know, everything from, from the time the patient comes to us, where we really identifying them as a falls risk, and included some of those non-clinical people at the point of registration. And we followed that all the way through to the point where we had the nursing staff doing clinical education. And then from an IT perspective, when I joined the team we started to really analyze that data because uh, we found that we were collecting lots and lots of data, but we really you know, weren't using it to improve our processes. And so I had a couple of ladies at our organization who really dug into that data and we changed some of the assessments that we were doing documentation on in Meditech to collect some more relevant data and give us some information about you know, uh, what the patient's fall score was, making sure that we had documented that we had put the bed alarm on, making sure that, you know, the nursing staff was documenting everything as timely as possible so that we really got relevant data. And it helped us to realize that, you know, our patients were falling as they were trying to get to the bathroom. And so we put a process in place and made sure that we were doing some in-depth training with our patients on letting us know and, that they needed to go to the bathroom, that they needed assistance, and then also retraining our staff to not just suggest to the patient that they go, but to really go into our patient's room and say, you know, let's go to the bathroom. And then, like I said, from an IT perspective, we've tried to clean up the documentation Make it relevant and make sure that the nursing staff's not having to document things in uh, multiple places. And then, our most recent portion of that is a lot of the PI data that they were having to document was just things that they were having to redocument that they had already put in Meditech. So, we're taking that documentation from Meditech, putting it into an electronic PI tool so that they have all that information available without having to sit there and type it again or, you know, redo it.
0: So Becky, it sounds like that's more of a PI or quality type project, but um, it's interesting to see IT taking the lead of the project management. Is that something you see commonly at your organization?
1: Yes, we've really developed that model at our organization, and it's been really successful for us. The clinical staff, are really involved with the patient care aspects of that. And especially with all the issues that they have to deal with with COVID, you know, they don't have time to do all of the documentation. And so we've been very successful at having the IT aspect of that and having us manage the project. And that way we can make sure that all of those components are looked at. And we help to bring in the other departments that are non-clinical to make the clinical project successful.
0: That sounds like a great model. Historically the struggles I've seen that IT departments have is not even knowing a project's undergoing or underway until there a server shows up or until they need a network drop or until they need an assessment built or you know something like that and at that point it may be too late or the vendor selection has already occurred and that vendor won't work with the environment or lots of issues when IT's not involved up front. So how do you ensure I mean, you you gave a good example of how you like to lead those projects, but how do you even know that a project is coming down or that, that someone's thinking about doing something? Do you guys have a good process for that?
1: We do, and it really starts with our budgeting process. Uh, our administrative team is very understanding that the IT aspect of that has to be in place. And so they make sure that any component of any project that is brought forward for budgeting Includes all of the IT aspects, and so our IT director is notified at the very beginning of this. That gives us that groundwork to make sure that you know those vendor interactions, the integration, all of those pieces are in place.
0: Yeah, the budget process seems to be the way to uh, get involved early in those things. You know, capital budget seems to be the place, but now with so many services and offerings becoming subscription. They can sneak into the operational side of things and, and IT may not be aware of them. So it is important to get involved up front. Sounds like you guys have a, a better process than most.
1: Well, it, we have really partnered with the clinical areas and I think, uh, you know, it, it's been mutually beneficial for everyone. Uh, we certainly don't want IT to be seen as, you know, a barrier to putting in new projects in. And we want to make sure that what we bring in, you know, really benefits our patients, and that you know we're able to integrate that and use the data, use the functionality. So it's worked out well to have everyone, you know, involved in the project that uh, needs to have their input. Getting that in place early has really helped us be successful.
0: Yeah, that's great. Sounds like a great process. So you guys are one of the lucky groups that have formed a, what Muse calls a community peer group. And I think you've had one of the most successful ones that, that I know of. I was involved in one called Making It with Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, Iowa, and Indiana, I believe it was. But I um, haven't met for a few years and kind of depending on leadership around those groups and stuff, it kind of seems to fall away. But the Kentucky peer group seems to be still going strong and very active and very productive. Tell us a little bit about your most recent meeting and what the theme of that was.
1: So we really modeled our Kentucky community peer group after your making it group. We wanted to find a way to keep all of our Kentucky facilities connected during the year. We didn't want to lose that connection that we would have from the international conference. And you know, all of us are at the point where we get a hundred calls, and nobody's just going to accept a cold call. And so the community peer group really gave us a way of putting a face with a name with a number. And that way, when you got a call from another facility, it was much more likely that, you know, you were going to pick up the phone and be responsive to that. And I had a great group of people from a couple of other facilities who worked with me and helped me to get this going. And we've just continued on. And I don't know without, you know, some of the assistance that I've had from other facilities in Kentucky, I don't know if we would have been as successful as we have been. But everyone has continued to offer ideas, uh, give new topics for discussion and really, you know, take their time out to help other facilities in the state. And so I think that's been our biggest success from our community peer group is that you know each facility is willing to help the others.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the the joy of muse in general is the networking right and you guys with your community peer group have brought that to a more local level and just made it even more interactive and even more specific to the challenges and perhaps uh, regulations and state regulations and those sort of things that impact your hospitals locally. That's really neat. Is there any role for the commercial muse members in these meetings?
1: Absolutely. Each meeting that we have has at least one sponsor, and some have more than one sponsor. There's often when the sponsorship will align with the topics that we're presenting, and then other times it's just an interested sponsor who wants to financially support our community peer group. But it's been very beneficial, especially when we can align those commercial sponsors with our topics, because they learn Just from hearing our presentations about that topic, as well as it gives us an opportunity to ask that particular vendor, you know, how they could support how we could make our processes better using their products.
0: Great. Yeah, that sounds like a valuable for both the commercial members and the facility members there. Has uh, Meditech ever attended or sent anyone down to attend the meetings?
1: Uh, They have attended virtually. Again, it really depends on the topic. There are some presentations that they have done that have been more educational, uh, like we did appropriate use criteria, for example, was one of the topics where Meditech attended virtually, and they did a presentation on the best way to set that up in Meditech and basically did a demo of that setup for all of the facilities that we're attending.
0: Great. That's helpful to have them involved as well. And if I'm not mistaken, a lot of those recordings and sessions are on the Muse website in the library for people to view at their own leisure. Is that correct?
1: There are, and uh, this past December we actually did six sessions. We did those all within one day. The Falls Committee that I talked about—that presentation's on there, and it's actually allows nursing credits if someone signs up and views that presentation.
0: Great. So even though you may not be a Kentucky hospital. You can still learn from you all and even get some CMEs.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's been one of the other positives that we've seen with the virtual environment is that, you know, we're no longer really confined to just the community peer groups to each state or to the surrounding states. Having the ability to have these virtual really allows us to bring in people from all around the country and even Canada and gives them that opportunity, you know, without having the expense of travel and being away from work, they can pop in and out of these sessions, even listen to recorded sessions and still get the benefit of that educational material.
0: Wonderful. Have you all done any group purchasing or anything through the community peer groups? Or like, have you all decided to go buy some product that you've got kind of bulk pricing on or anything like that?
1: We have not yet, but uh, we are involved in a, at least two different collaboratives. The discussion is taking place.
0: I think that's a, a new trend, especially for, maybe not new trend, but a trend for community uh, independent hospitals trying to save money and you know, compete with uh, the larger organizations. So Becky, it sounds like you've got a really powerful community peer group there in Kentucky Is that something that's only unique to Kentucky, or can others do this, or what would be the approach to if someone wants to start one in their area, uh, how would they get started with that?
1: No, absolutely, it's not unique to Kentucky. We have community peer groups all over the United States and some in Canada that have formed as well. Uh, If anyone wants to start a community peer group, reach out to Alicia at Muse, and she can help you with the coordination of all of that. Uh, she can also help to bring some other people in from your area. It's always best if you have a couple people at least that are trying to put together the community peer groups. But one person can do it if you you know you take the time and effort to put those topics together and really reach out to some people who have expertise in those areas.
0: Wonderful. So you mentioned AUC. I know that was delayed. I don't think officially is required until 2023, but where are you all at in that process?
1: We have it rolled out. We have a pilot group of physicians who are currently using it, and we intend on rolling that out to all of our physicians during the year of 2022 so that we'll be prepared for 2023.
0: Great. I know one of the difficult things around that process is dealing with referrals that come from the outside So a community provider writes a order for a CT scan that's going to be done in your outpatient imaging, whose responsibility is it to do the AUC, or if that order needs to be edited from without contrast to with contrast, how do you update that AUC information? Have you all figured out a good approach to that kind of referral advanced imaging ordering?
1: I don't know that we have the magic bullet, but the current process that we have is We've done a lot of education with our community providers, making sure that they have the tools available so that they have the AUC score when they're sending the referral into us. Our scheduling staff is doing a great job of making sure that if that AUC score is not there, they're letting the office know up front that it's needed And then if we do have to change an order from, you know, without or with contrast to vice versa, then the radiology staff are reaching out directly to our community providers and letting them know that order is going to have to be changed and working with them to kind of walk them through that process of getting the correct AUC score on that. And so we're really taking advantage of this time period that, you know, we have, some additional days and months here that we can work through some of those processes, making AUC in 2023, hopefully a lot less painful than it would have been.
0: Very good. It sounds like you have a good process and approach going. there. So shifting gears a little bit, Becky, you're on the board and you'll be chair elect this year. Which committee are you going to be serving on?
1: Uh, I will be on the finance committee. And then I also will actually be kind of bouncing back and forth between the education committee and the commercial member committee as well.
0: Very cool. So I see announcements that the Inspire conference is on in person and scheduled. A little bit of a date change this year, but how is the Muse board feeling about that getting back to in person? And and do you have any thoughts about the upcoming conference?
1: We're cautiously optimistic about the conference. Uh, We Know from our commercial members that they are really anxious to get back to in-person meetings, even though they were able to reach customers using virtual technology and have conference calls and WebExes with them. They're really missing that connection of the face-to-face meetings. And we saw that recently with our executive institute. The vendors were very complimentary of just being able to talk to people face-to-face. And so we're hopeful that, you know, we won't see any spikes in Omicron or any of the other variants. And we'll still be using some technology to make sure that the people who are attending the conference are vaccinated fully and making sure that we follow all of those safety protocols. But I think we're really at the point where everyone is tired of being at home and we want to be out and we want to see people again. And there's just, something that can't be replaced about that person-to-person interaction.
0: Yes, absolutely. That is exciting. And I I heard nothing but glowing reviews of the Executive Institute, not only from the content standpoint, but that true face-to-face interaction and and socializing, you know, even though there were protocols in place to make sure everything was safe, I know it was a, a welcome event and a beautiful resort and location for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely and there's so much education that you know our members are wanting and so much that we have prepared and we always find that you know as we get closer to the conference that we have such rich presentations with content that you know it just helps so many facilities just from a single presentation and that's what we're most excited about cuz our goal with Muse has always been, first and foremost, to provide education.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, if there's listeners out there that have lessons learned through this COVID experience, or you know, recent Priority Pack updates, or migrations, or any of those things, get those get those presentations submitted, and we'll try to make the uh, the Muse Expire conference in 2022 not only in person and, and safe, but full of rich educational content.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, we always encourage people to submit their presentations. I know that often facilities, they don't think that what they're doing is important or that it's new or that it's different. But go ahead and submit that presentation. And, you know, let's let the rest of the world to decide if it's new or different. I think people are doing a lot of things that could really be helpful to other organizations. We just need that ability to have that information shared.
0: Great. Sounds like an exciting opportunity for people out there. And we'll put a link in the show notes to the presentations that you guys offered at the last Kentucky meeting. And we'll also put Alicia's contact information out there for anyone that might want to reach out and starting their own community peer group in their area.
1: I was just going to mention that, you know, several of the board members have been involved in community peer groups. And so if anyone wants to reach out and find out more information, just kind of how we set ours up, we would all be happy to help and, you know, answer those type questions.
0: Great. Very good. Thanks for that. So as we wrap up, just on a kind of a personal note, I want to ask if you're uh, enjoying anything right now, either work-wise or social-wise, that you're either a YouTube channel you're watching or a book you're reading or a podcast you're listening to. you have anything like that?
1: Uh, one of my new favorites on YouTube is Adventures with Purpose. And it's an underwater dive team, and they initially started out to clean up the environment, remove things from rivers and streams, cars that had, you know, gone into the water at different locations. And it started out more of an environmental, and now they've uh, kind of started to look for people who are in cars, and so they've helped to solve some cold cases, and I think the part that I like the most about it is it's all volunteer. They don't charge anything. And that's that really, you know, is reflective of what we do at Muse as well. There's so much education and, you know, it's just people helping people. And that's what we want to do at Muse as well. You know, there doesn't have to be, you know, anything that is put together that is strategic or anything like that. Just be two people having a conversation and you share an idea and it makes the other person's workload easier. Very cool. That's what I think is, you know, important about the community peer groups and news in general is that mm-hmm. our goal is to make sure that we're sharing the information and that that information helps someone else.
0: Great. Well, that sounds very interesting. We'll, we'll put a link to that YouTube channel in the in the show notes as well. And uh, are you a scuba diver yourself or just interested?
1: Oh, no, I'm just interested. It's amazing that, you know, there are so many things that, you know, get dropped in the water that would never be seen again. Some of the things that they find are just, you know, really amazing. And, you know, there's the story behind each one of those things that they find.
0: Yeah, very interesting. I, I kind of figured Kentucky might not be the uh, scuba diver headquarters of the world or anything, but thought I would ask. <laughs>
1: No, we're
0: not. Becky, thank you so much for your time and being a guest on the podcast today. We uh, appreciate you taking your time out of your day and away from your team to help with this. And we appreciate everything you're doing through the Muse community and serving on the Muse board. Anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up?
1: No, I just really appreciate being able to join you today and to share with the rest of the world what Muse is about. And hopefully, you know, it'll help some other people along the way.
0: Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Muse Views. Don't forget to rate and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast fix. And visit museweb.org for information about Muse.